What does the word Messiah mean? Um, God said the word Messiah means holy savior of Israel. And the word Messiah is mentioned four times in the Bible in very different ways. And it reveals a lot about um, the meaning of the word. I'm going to go after uh, all four versions, uh, all four mentions. And um, here's the, the mentions in order. The book of Daniel, chapter 9. And then the word Messiah is mentioned twice. Uh, once in verse 25 and again in verse 26. The word Messiah is also mentioned in the book of John. Spelled differently. The word Messiah finishes with the letter H in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, they finish it with the word S. So, in chapter 1 of uh, the book of John, two men said, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And then Jesus spoke uh, to these two men. Uh, and um, then in the book of John, chapter 4, a woman saith unto Jesus, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So often when a prophet speaks, we might expect a prophet to speak the word of God. But Jesus was speaking. Jesus said unto her, according to the book of St. John chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. And that means Jesus claimed to be Messiah, Christ. And he also claimed that he will tell all things, apparently. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now later, she said that Jesus told her all things. Now all that's written is that he said, I that speak unto thee am he. So either she was being sarcastic, or she literally believed that he told her all things in a conversation. But in either case, those are mentions of uh, the word Messiah with an S in the New Testament. So many Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That he taught that woman all things. They might even believe that Jesus taught them, every Christian living today, all things. And they also believe that the prophecy written in the book of Daniel chapter 9 was fulfilled spiritually, typically. So, in Daniel 9.25, it's clear that um, this mentions restoring and building Jerusalem. So they believe this was fulfilled physically and spiritually. But they also know that this probably means the temple as well. And so they say, well, it was a spiritual temple 
and it's been built ever since Jesus was here. And then you can ask, like, where is it? And they're like, Jesus is this possessing spirit that possesses me like a demon. And they'll, like, tell you that, like, Jesus is in them. And if you want, you can ask the Christians, like, do you know all things? Because Jesus, she said the Messiah will uh, tell us all things. And they'd be like, no, you have to read the Bible. You know, So, like, it's kind of an endless debate. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, 25, and 26, it mentions things that will happen to the Messiah and the things that the Messiah will do a little, I guess, if you know how to read it. But in verse 24, God says, actually, Gabriel, an angel, said um, what uh, more about the Messiah. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So I'm going to go through this in reverse and talk about this. The most holy is God the Father. He's the most high, the most holy, the most perfect, and all of that. Now, 70 weeks to anoint the most holy. So that means God will be anointed with someone else's spirit. Or it's referring to a different man. Now, among all men who have ever lived, the Messiah is the most holy man who's ever lived. Among all of God's children. And God is the most holy. Among all. Living. Among all living. So, we got that. Now, the previous line reads, reads to seal up the vision and prophecy. Now, the vision is in the previous chapter, chapter 8. That's the vision. And God says here, actually, Gabriel, an angel, said to seal up the vision. Now, what's interesting is I don't know how a vision can be sealed up. It can be concluded. A prophecy can be fulfilled. Here he says to seal up the prophecy. So maybe what he means is to like button it up and make sure it's all fulfilled completely to the letter, to the T, to the button. And maybe that's what he means. Let's go back another line. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, after Jesus left, he did not bring in everlasting righteousness. No man ever brought in everlasting righteousness in the whole earth. Because we don't have everlasting righteousness here. We live, we die. And even if there's a man after Jesus lived or after David, King David, or after Abraham, or anyone you might think of that's like a righteous man. But here we're talking about the Messiah. Even if there was a righteous man or a righteous woman, they lived, they died, and it's not everlasting. Unless you're like, oh, well, their righteousness is in heaven. Yeah, but you know this is about the earth because we're just talking about the vision and the prophecy. This, these are events that will happen in the earth that haven't happened yet regarding the vision and the prophecy. So when we talk about to bring in everlasting righteousness... The first thing we need to know is what is righteousness? And no man has ever taught that in the whole earth. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so maybe he preached about it and taught what he knew. Jesus spoke, but to this day, there isn't one man in the whole earth who can answer this question, what is righteousness? Except for the Messiah. So first we need to know what it is, and then it needs to be brought in. And it needs to be brought in in an everlasting way. Well, if men just live and die and there's no nothing left of the righteousness, it's not brought in. It just came and went. 
to bring it in in an everlasting way means that men and women in the earth need to know what righteousness is. They know they need to know how to do it, and it needs to be everlasting. So, if you're thinking, well, it's 70 weeks, it's the 70 times 70, or 70 times 7, or all the other numbers they come up with, well, that's what Christians say from the time that Daniel lived until Jesus, and then maybe after, but there's no everlasting righteousness. None of you even know what that is. And so what's interesting about this is there might be a preacher that says, after hearing my my podcast, that, uh, yes, it was brought in, but if you asked him what is righteousness, he doesn't even know what it is. How could he know if it's brought in? If he doesn't know what it is, he also doesn't know how to do it. So the Messiah is someone who along with God, will bring in everlasting righteousness. And the earth, as it is written in the vision, but also in heaven, the heaven, and the heavens. Now, when we die, we can go to heaven. When we live in the earth, we call it the earth. And the angels can travel the heavens. So that means everlasting righteousness needs to be brought in in the earth, the heaven, and the heavens. And again, since men don't even know what righteousness is, how to do it, or what everlasting righteousness means or why it's important, then we can say it's never been done. So this prophecy was never fulfilled. And so this is something that will be fulfilled during the lifetime of the Messiah. Now we're talking about making reconciliation for iniquity. Now this is a huge problem for uh, all of God's children, including the angels, but I would say especially the angels. I would say including the angels because a lot of men in the earth don't know that, but I just wanted to let you know it's something that needs to happen on the earth where we live, in the heaven where we go when we die, but also in the heavens where the angels go. And the reason I'm telling you this is because the Messiah and God Almighty will do all three. Now, iniquity is it's when you choose to do something and it sickens you before you make that choice. It might sicken you when you do it. It might sicken you when you think about it. It might sicken you when you remember it, but it sickens you when you make that choice. That's iniquity. So to make reconciliation for iniquity is a problem because if there's reconciliation required, that means there's conflict. And since there's no man living who knows even what the conflict is, none of you can say that there's been reconciliation for iniquity. None of you. Nobody even knows what that means except for God and the Messiah. So we might say a big part of that is to make things right. And we can look in the earth right now where we live and we can know it's not right. People do things that are sickening every day and they make choices that are choices that make them sickened every day, probably. And we can look around and say, this, this was never made right. So during the time of the Messiah, those 70 weeks, there will be reconciliation for iniquity. And Jesus never did this. No man ever did. Now let's go to the previous line, to make an end of sins. Now, a lot of Christians say this means salvation from hell and death. But I'll let you know right now, 
that uh, men still sin. So there's no end of sin. And so you might say, well, that's fucked up. I'll say it's more complicated. To make an end of sins doesn't mean that there is yet an end of sin. What it means is to make it so there can be an end of sins. What is the end? It might be a process of learning about righteousness, God's word, God's law, God's will, God's ways, growing in knowledge and wisdom. And when we have knowledge and wisdom, and we are all men of, and women of skill and ability, when we're learned and intelligent, and we know the law, we know God's word, then there might be an end of sins. Because when we transgress the law, we sin. So a lot of Christians are wrong about this because Paul was confused. We don't abandon the law now. For instance, there was a law that says, thou shalt not kill. You don't abandon that law just because you're a Christian. You can't just go kill. That's sin. So to make an end of sins, men need to know what the law is. And so part of that is to not only know the law, but to know what to do regarding knowing the law. So only the Messiah and God can do this. Now, the previous line reads, to finish the transgression. So the transgression is the um, worship of the man that is called the beast. He's called the Antichrist. He's named Elijah the Tishbite, who is different than Elijah the prophet. At that time, there were two men named Elijah. Elijah the prophet spoke God's word perfectly, and Elijah the Tishbite changed God's words and tried to claim to be God. And one day I might do a reading of the story of Elijah the Tishbite, and then you'll say, oh, that's fucking weird. Yes, that's, he was a false prophet, I guess. But anyhow, we're going to call him the beast or maybe the Antichrist, and he's Elijah the Tishbite, and he'll be in the earth uh, sooner than you might think. So... The transgression is worshiping Elijah the Tishbite, also called the beast, also called the Antichrist. But I'm just going to call him Elijah the Tishbite. The transgression is to worship Elijah the Tishbite, to worship his image, and to take the mark of the beast. God made all men and women in God's image. So Elijah might claim to have made men and women in Elijah's image. And then if you ask him, what is your image? He might say, oh, it's this graven image. That's it. He's Elijah's that dumb. So to finish the transgression is that, the worship of Elijah. Now the previous line reads, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Whose people? Daniel's people. Gabriel the angel was talking to Daniel, the son of man. Gabriel also called the angels are called morning stars or stars of the morning or sons of God. Daniel was called a son of man. And they're so Gabriel and um, Daniel are both men, but I don't want to say the man talked to the man because that's confusing. So the man Gabriel, who was an angel, talked to the man Daniel, who was a son of man. And that's what Gabriel said to Daniel. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. So that's Daniel's people and upon thy holy city. That's Daniel's holy city. 
That's what Gabriel said. And now we start to realize this is a bit confusing because why did Gabriel say it's Daniel's people and Daniel's holy city instead of God's people, instead of God's holy city? And now we start to realize the problem when we read the Bible. The Bible records what men said, not always what God said. So let's go with 70 weeks now. In the earth, many men and women tried to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And so in order to do this, they, had, they realized there's a problem with the math. Because 70 weeks clearly means 70 years. And not only that, we know that because the spirit within us testifieth of the truth. When we hear that verse, we know 70 weeks for us means 70 years. And we can also read verse 2 where Daniel said 70 years. And then he prayed about that. And when Daniel prayed, it might have been that Daniel was praying exactly about that what happened in the past and what will happen in the future and who came when Daniel prayed to the Lord his God an angel named Gabriel where it reads the man Gabriel now here it doesn't say the angel Gabriel but we know it is the angel Gabriel as the spirit within us testifieth of the truth and we know the 70 weeks refers to 70 years so for the angels, they use the heavenly calendar, which is a seven count. And the seven count is based on holy days in heaven. And their calendar is different than ours. The calendar in heaven is based on a number of things. First, there is a count since the first day of creation. And every year, after it's been exactly one year, they add a year. So all of the angels know it's been just more than 6,138 years since God made the heaven and the earth. And next year, it will be 6,139. And I know a lot of uh, men have tried to calculate how old everything is, but they, they haven't really got it wrong. Excuse me, they haven't really got it right. They got it wrong. Uh, and that's okay, because they, they have a hard time calculating it. So the angels know and God knows. It's 6,138 years right now. Now the other part is they know the heavenly calendar. The angels know this. is a seven count in heaven. So that instead of a year, they say a week. And then they also have a seven count inside the seven count. Because every seven days, the angels keep the Sabbath. They remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So the angels remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And they also know that the year is called a week in heaven. And the earth is called a year. So who spoke? An angel. Well, what did the angel say? The prophecy. What prophecy? The prophecy that he heard. Well, if an angel hears a prophecy in heaven, he might hear that it's 70 weeks because that's the heavenly calendar. But if a man in the earth heard, he might hear 70 years. So they just use different words.
So when we talk about this countdown with the 70 weeks and the 70 years, we find out something really interesting. Nobody can agree about this and that's okay because if you don't know, no one's gonna blame you for not knowing. We don't have to pretend to know if we don't know. But what we do know is that everything that God said will happen, it will happen. 70 weeks are determined so that we know how long are determined. Upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Who determined it? God, probably. To finish the transgression, that's the worship of the beast and his image. And upon, excuse me, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. So that's knowledge of the law and the word and righteousness and stuff like that. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. So there's a lot of stuff to do with that. And only God and the Messiah can do it. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And again, we don't have that right now. It's, there's not a lot of righteousness right now. Because people don't even know what it is. So only God and the Messiah can, can do that. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. That's from Daniel 8. That's the vision. And to anoint the most holy. So the Messiah is the most holy man among all of God's children who's ever lived. And God is the most holy among all living. So now we know things that the Messiah will do. Now, here's the question. Why would the Messiah be called the Holy Savior of Israel? Well, when Gabriel spoke, he talked about Daniel's people and upon Daniel's holy city. That's Jerusalem. That's Israel, the people of Israel. God said his chosen people are called Israel. That's all the people in the nation, we can assume. But there are chosen people in the promised land. So the promised land is called Israel. And the chosen people are called Israel. So the Messiah is called Holy Savior of Israel. So now let's clear it up and know exactly what it means. The Holy Savior of Israel will, in 70 weeks, make sure that the transgression is finished, make an end of sins, make, a re make reconciliation for iniquity, and bring an everlasting righteousness, and seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the Most Holy. So these are things that we can expect that the Messiah will do if we read the Word of God and believe the words spoken by Gabriel in Daniel 9 verse 24. And when we think about that, most of us will realize we don't even know what the fuck that means. And Jesus almost certainly didn't do any of that. But it's okay if you're confused about this because you probably don't want to commit blasphemy or heresy. You probably want to say that Jesus is the Messiah until you know different. So if you just do the best you know, you're probably not doing any sins at all. And that's fine. So God told me, that the Messiah means Holy Savior of Israel. And that creates a problem because what about everyone else in every other nation? Now is there two saviors, Jesus and the Messiah? Because many Christians believe that Jesus is their savior. Well, everyone can agree that God the Father is a savior. And so now we have another problem. You would say, well, why Israel only? Well. It might be the whole world. Let's take a look. In the book of Ezekiel, God makes it really clear that men and women that are from Gentile nations 
will come to Israel and in any tribe that they sojourn, that's the tribe that they'll join. So maybe everyone that chooses righteousness ultimately might think to live in Israel, but they, it probably won't include everyone. Not everyone can move to Israel when they choose to do what's right in God's eyes that day, unless God makes it so. And maybe some people will choose not to until the end. There's no mention in the Bible that says only Israel will be saved and every Gentile will die. In fact, most people in other nations don't like being called Gentiles because it sounds like a derogatory term. It sounds like God didn't choose the rest of you. But the truth is, we're all God's children. So he chose everyone. But a lot of God's children turned their back on him. Plus, the abomination of desolation that we just talked of, that's the transgression. That'll be in the whole earth, the whole world. It's not just in Israel. So that's important. So why would we say Holy Savior of Israel? It's quite possible that maybe it was God's will that we were all part of Israel and that Israel was the whole earth. But when we think about what happened in Israel over and over again, they turned their backs on God, but so did the Gentiles. So I'm just going to say, so did every man and woman in every nation almost, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe they didn't. What if in other nations they didn't do it as much? See, it gets tricky. So all we can say is what we know. If we trust God, maybe it'll all make sense at the end. But right now, it's confusing. So let's talk more about Israel before I conclude the whole podcast. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And since then, he's had many children. And in the earth... All living are God's children. So it's not God's will that you all die for no reason. If you move to Israel or don't, you might still sin or not. So ultimately, when we're judged by God, we're not judged according to some um, which books we had that much, but we might be. He might say, why did you get that book? In judgment, we're judged according to what we did including what we said, and we're also judged according to what we thought during our life. So when we think about it that way, we start to say, okay, but why Israel? Well, ultimately, I think a big important part of this is when we consider what will happen after the, um, after the prophecy we just read. After that prophecy... There will be the day of the Lord. So there will be what Jesus called the tribulation or the great tribulation. There will be the day of the Lord. And after that, the devil will be cast into hell. So this is where it starts to make some sense. Then all nations will come to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This is important because where will they come to? They'll come to Israel. And here I'll read to you from Zechariah. So this is after the day of the Lord. This is Zechariah 14, 16. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast 
of tabernacles. So God talks about it for a long time in the book of Zechariah. Uh, some more verses are written about this, but it's Zechariah 14, 16. That's where you can read this verse. And there's more after it. So that's after the day of the Lord. In fact, this might even be before the day of the Lord, depending on how you read it. It might be both. But God makes it really clear in Zechariah 14, verse 1. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So I think what will happen is before the day of the Lord, this will happen. And I think then it will happen again after the day of the Lord. Because a lot of prophecies in the Bible happen twice or three times. It just happens. And maybe one day I'll talk about that in another podcast. So ultimately, if Israel is not there, then where are they going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles? And it starts to make sense. If in Israel, if they keep doing what they've done in the past, and if there's they kill their children and, and sacrifice their children to false gods and all this other nonsense that they've done, then then there isn't going to be much left of Israel, probably. So they can't do that. So maybe they need a holy savior to do all this other stuff. And then after, everyone that still is in other nations that God didn't kill on the day of the Lord, maybe they're the ones that will uh, come to the Feast of Tabernacles every year. So to conclude, what the Messiah will do is a little bit tricky, and I might do a whole podcast on that. But what does the Messiah mean? What does that word mean? It means holy savior of Israel. And then what you'll find is when you know Bible prophecy about the day of the Lord, and then what happens thousands of years later when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, and you know that God chose Israel to place the soles of his feet, then this will all start to make sense that Israel is important to God. And the Messiah apparently means Holy Savior of Israel.